Welcome to another episode of Indiana Politics. I'm Deb Chubb, and I'm here today with the awesome Maureen Bauer, State Representative from House District 6. Uh, so Maureen, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit more about, about yourself. I know that you are a, a born and uh, raised Hoosier, that you went to school here, and um, but I'd like to, you know, I'd like for you to just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. Well, Deb, I appreciate you creating this opportunity to have a conversation. We've had many of these during the campaign. And I think it's important to do that during, you know, the part where we are debating and negotiating new laws in Indiana. Um, so I was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana, and it's an honor to serve House District 6 as state representative. I studied um, at IUPUI in the hospitality industry, and at that same time, I began working for the Indiana House of Representatives Democratic Caucus um, in the Publications and Technology Office. So uh, working with communications directly with the constituents and their representative. Uh, since have studied within uh, the agricultural world in sustainable agriculture, where I learned how to grow grapes and make wine in the cold climate of the Midwest and using that knowledge to put my own two acres of vine into the ground and hopefully in the about three more years, produce fruit and make wine. So oh, that's excellent. Absolutely, yes. It's been an interesting journey to get where I am today and happy to use that background to create some good policy for all Hoosiers. That's great. Well, I can tell you're full of innovation and, um, and it shows in your, in your personal life and your work. And I, it also shows in your legislating so far. I've been so impressed with the bills that you filed they really address really heavy, important uh, issues and address them with really uh, grace and um, practicality. So, um, so let's get right into your bills. Um, you have several bills dealing with, um, uh, well, personally, I wanna talk about the homelessness uh, issue. Uh, you have a bill uh, that you have filed that calls for a homeless bill of rights. Uh, I think we need to really acknowledge uh, the impending avalanche of homelessness that we and the rest of the country is, uh, is going to face um, because of the lifting eventually of the eviction moratorium. People have been you know, suffering joblessness, not able to pay their rent. Um, landlords likewise are not collecting rent and, um, and I, they have mortgages to pay, et cetera too. Um, but the evictions have been put on hold, which is a terrific short term goal. But when those moratoriums are lifted, those tenants are not suddenly going to have all that money that they owe. So then they will eventually be evicted. And so there are so many um, consequences of that. Of course, homelessness will be the biggest one. Um, and there are several reasons for that, of course, and you know, not, not the least of which is that once you are evicted, it's really hard to find another rental unit. And of course, young people who, uh, young families, uh, young people um, without children, um, are saddled with so much student debt that they will never be able to buy a home. And so, uh, so, this is, so they will be in the rental market uh, forever and subject to all of those issues. So right. let's get to your bill about homelessness. Tell us, tell us about your homeless bill of rights and what you want to think. Yeah, so this is House Bill 1567. And the main idea is that state rights cannot be uh, denied solely because you're homeless. So it's, we've seen homelessness, as you've mentioned, increase as a result of COVID-19, and this has been seen in Indiana. 
we also want to track the criminalization of homelessness. So instead of punishing people or penalizing people because they do not have a home instead of their actions. Uh, so it's essentially incarcerating people who will never be able to pay that fine and criminalizing them because they are without a home. So this does establish the rights of a homeless individual and it's rights that we all have as well. Um, but it does not discriminate their right to register to vote, find employment. It also addresses homeless children, that they have their ability to you know, go to school, have take the bus to school, um, or their right to emergency medical care. So it's rights that you and I have, and certainly these individuals without a home have as well. An important part of this legislation also establishes hygiene centers with both state and county health departments. So uh, it will provide, and these are up for conversation as well, things that were done in, during COVID-19, like hand washing stations or restrooms and showers. These are things that we can make permanent and create healthier communities. So it does have the underlying health focus, which a lot of my legislation that I've uh, introduced this year does have. Um, but the basic thing is understanding that the root cause of homelessness uh, in finding what that is. And it doesn't mean, you know, that we can redirect the resources from law enforcement that are maybe just targeting them because they are without a home. So it's getting the conversation started, uh, inviting people who've been doing this work for years on this topic of homelessness and people who serve our communities locally and do a great job. Um, here we have an incredible center for the homeless and it's getting all those minds together and really taking care of people who, as you said, will be a large population who are unhoused and facing the elements of an extreme Indiana summer and Indiana winter. Right, I, there, and there are just so many things that um, you take for granted when you have a place to live, like you know, having a place to do your laundry, having a place to put your things, uh, you know, just, in, and you said like um, hygiene stations, um, so uh, we do have, in my community, we do have uh, day centers for uh, homeless people where they can get on the internet, they can take showers, they can do laundry uh, and things like that. Of course, that doesn't solve the problem of where will you sleep, but, um, but it is, you know, those are all things that people take for granted. Um, and if people are going to be doubling up, um, you know, that's going to cause other issues. Um, and, you know, that is one of the reasons that the moratorium is still uh, is in place, I think, because um, uh, health health officials are afraid of the COVID uh, transmission if people are, you know, evicted and then doubling up uh, in other places. So a great bill, so necessary, so necessary. And we are really going to be uh, having to put our heads uh, together on figuring this all out when this uh, explodes on us. So, um, okay, so you also have um, uh, several bills dealing with pregnancy. Um, these again are so important, as we know, uh, Indiana has one of the highest rates of infant mortality in the, in the country, uh, and in, maternal mortality rates are very high as well. Uh, I like to remind people that it's actually safer to give birth to a child in the occupied West Bank than it is in Indiana. So, um, so these bills could never be more necessary. And so, so tell us about the bills that you've introduced uh, dealing with pregnancy. Yeah, I have three specifically to address the infant and maternal mortality rates, which as you mentioned, are among the third and seventh highest in the nation. Um, 
we've talked about this issue for a while and we've seen some policy action and I'm really encouraged that we will see some more movement on this topic. We have a governor who says he's committed to it. We've established a maternal health caucus last year who's done the reporting, who has the results. And so now it's up to us to move into action. So I've introduced a pregnancy accommodations bill, which we uh, have as House Bill 1245. And those are reasonable workplace accommodations such as seating, longer breaks, uniform modifications, um, light duty, job restructuring. So those um, are not guaranteed by law for a pregnant worker. So again, through this COVID-19 pandemic, mothers and mothers who work have been largely impacted, struggling to continue to keep their job and take care of their children, uh, juggle e-learning. And so they have seen a large burden uh, placed on working mothers. So this will simply say, you cannot be discriminated against because you're pregnant or even because you've given birth. And I've heard so many personal stories of women who have faced this and it's all too common. And I think being able to tell these stories is important and, you know, tell your legislator your story of either your job being taken away or told you didn't have to come back when you told your employer you're pregnant or when you did come back finding out your job is no longer there or um, some things like pumping breast milk in the closet. You know, these are things that maybe not every individual thinks about, but they do happen every day. So um, this is a bill that I'm encouraged uh, some form or the other will pass this year and I think it'll provide a much needed help for pregnant working mothers and that's right we say we value these essential workers and these are work people women mostly who are working in these frontline positions in retail and grocery stores uh, in um, housekeeping that sort of thing cleaning and um, and I've heard those stories too women who say they they wouldn't let me sit down I had and and who have to end up quitting their jobs because they, they can't, they are putting their own health and the health of their coming baby at risk. And right. so um, it's, just, it's just completely unjust. And my version of the bill does go to the Civil Rights Commission to investigate complaints. So there's a difference in my language as well from other versions. Excellent, okay. And then, um, and then you also have accommodations for women and young women who are incarcerated, even in juvenile detention, as well as in county jails and prisons. Right, so 1430 provides protection for pregnant inmates. Um, so between six to 10% of uh, population in, of incarcerated women is pregnant at any time with a large portion of that falling on local facilities. So this provides state, county and juvenile facilities uh, protections for pregnant women. Uh, during the second and third trimester requires using the least restrictive restraint. So at a time, women were shackled or handcuffed or had ankle cuffs or belly cuffs, uh, belly chain or of some kind during pregnancy. Now, the policy is often that they don't shackle during birth. This law, this bill would put into law that you cannot do that. Also during recovery and during a medical emergency. Um, we're also expanding that and saying using the least restrictive restraint during that second and third trimester. Um, this also will help 
or reduce those maternal and infant mortality rates and result in healthier outcomes. Um, one piece of the bill that I really like is it also talks about visitation for mothers and their children. So it allows for multiple visitation during a week. And so we can continue to foster that relationship between a mother and child, which will obviously continue when they leave that uh, prison or that jail. So that's important. Um, but and this allows to be a voice for the most vulnerable who often don't have a say in their rights. And so providing these protections, I think, will do a great service to those mothers and those children um, and have healthier outcomes. I, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. I can't imagine uh, giving birth and then, you know, someone just swooping and taking your baby away and you don't see them for I don't know how long, uh, you know, and of course, just the health uh, implications of that, you know, no, no bonding with the mother, no nursing, um, you know, that's terrible health uh, implications there. Wow. Right. Okay. And then you have another one um, about doulas, which I think is so important. Tell us about that. Yeah. So we have a great network of doulas in my area. Uh, last year, there was a bill passed that covered doulas under Medicaid. Uh, this bill will provide insurance coverage for doulas under private insurance as well. So we're kind of bridging that gap between those who get their insurance through their workplace or through the marketplace so that you can also find this service before, during, and after birth. So uh, in particular, this will help with that educational aspect, the emotional aspect of you know, carrying a child and bringing that child to full term. It also has shown, doula services have shown to provide incredible benefit to avoiding those medical emergencies that often result in C-section. Um, in particular, black women are three to four times more likely to die as a result of a pregnancy com uh, complication. So doulas really provide that added benefit to black mothers and so not only maternal health rates, but for those infants. So getting towards the focus after birth is also a large uh, part of this bill, which I'm really excited about. You know, one of those practical things that you can't believe that insurance companies uh, and and state funded insurance agencies uh, haven't already done. I, I you can just I mean, I could just think of all of the financial savings uh, if you can prevent um, postpartum women from being rehospitalized re um, because you've got a doula with the mom at home talking to her about you know how she's feeling, nutrition, um, you know, getting her to a non-emergency medical uh, treatment facility early if there's some complication, um, all of those things that could so save so much money. Uh, and likewise for the, you know, for a new baby, if the new baby is, is born healthy, uh, you know, and thriving, you know, not underweight, um, not too early, all of those things can save millions, millions of dollars yeah. in medical costs. And this bill also allows the doula to be in the hospital room during birth if the mother would like it. So I think that's important too, especially during COVID when you know there's been a lot of restrictions on who can be there. And um, this is a very great step forward. And there are about 30 counties within Indiana that don't have any OB services or hospitals, which is hard to wrap your mind around, but this will certainly provide some health benefits for those mothers and their children. Oh, right, like a third of the Indiana counties have no OB services. So, um, so having a doula would be local, would be right there for her. 
if she had, you know, if she needed something, you know, she just wouldn't have to travel just for, you know, just for something perhaps minor. Um, wow, that is an excellent, excellent bill. Okay, so um, uh, let's see. Um, we got to everything I think that um, that we wanted to. Um, uh, we've got to the doula and pregnancy discrimination and accommodation, so important. Um, you do have a bill about um, agricultural easements. And, um, and I, as I understand it, this is a way to make sure that um, farmland is not um, reduced. So we're reducing the acres of farmland, I guess, daily by uh, development. And this is a way to preserve farmland as farmland. Is that right? Right. right. So we've lost hundreds of acres of farmland in Indiana, and this is a trend across the country. And uh, back to COVID, the amount of food insecurity in my neighborhood and across the state has been enormous. I mean, we've seen lines of people at the food banks. Uh, within two hours, we see over 300 families. So this does address a food insecurity issue. And there's a hard push uh, for Indiana to produce locally and have their food be Indiana grown. And during the early stages of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, we wanted to ensure that we as a state manufactured our own products and it creates a more resilient community during crisis. So this farmland preservation was studied in the, it was introduced two years ago, it was studied during the summer and it has a lot of support uh, to ensure that we are not losing prime farmland, that farmland that feeds our families. So while growth is just fine, as long as it's responsible, we must ensure we aren't picking the areas that feed us to plow over. Because once that's developed, you don't get it back. So we really have to be responsible and think of you know, the forever element of both losing our food source and then not getting that land back. So uh, I'm, I think that we'll see some good movement with that legislation as well. Um, but it really comes down to making sure that we are a strong state and we can take care of our own in these times of crisis. Great. Okay. So um, I do want to ask you too, any bills out there, um, not authored by you, um, that you think are especially important that we uh, pay attention to, um, you know, whether to get rid of them or to, you know, pass them? Yeah. Well, I know you've mentioned 1006 in the past, which was a nice step forward for criminal justice reform. Uh, Put out there by the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, uh, part of their platform, and that bans chokeholds and it requires body cameras to be kept on and there's a punishment if they're turned off. So I think that that's a great victory uh, for the state of Indiana and has support state police. Um, so I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, let's see. I am on the Judiciary Committee. It's the only committee of the three that I'm on that's met so far. And we are talking about uh, civil immunity. So that'll be an interesting topic to make sure that, you know, we protect the most vulnerable going forward as we recover from this crisis. So um, that's kind of where our focus will be this week as we meet again as a committee. Um, but yeah, most of my bills have been, all the bills have been assigned to committee. Um, but if there's anything that in particular interest, anyone reach out to the chair of those committees and ask for a hearing. Uh, 
we have to ensure that these get moved out of the committee and then go to a vote on the floor. So it's a are long they, process. We the are the bills um do uh, dealing with pregnancy and the doula are those all in the same committee? Um, protection for pregnant inmates is in courts and criminal code, and the others are in family and child. Um, okay, yeah. great. So the that's the committee on family and children services yeah. or something. Yeah. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Good. So people know where to go to, uh, to uh, push for that. So, all right. That's great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Maureen, for being here and talking to us about your bills. You're doing great work. I'm so excited to watch you, you know, as your first term. And so I'm so just excited to watch what you do going forward. Uh, you have such a great handle on this and it's terrific to have younger voices um, in the state house um, for, you know, you. and of course, it's great to have some women uh, in the state house. So, um, okay, so uh, last question. Any parting words of wisdom for us? <laughs> keep it up, keep doing what you're doing, stay involved, stay active. And you know, thank you for this opportunity to have a conversation and, and give you an update, let you know where these bills go. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. We'll be back and we'll do that. All right, great. All right, thank you so much. Bye. Bye.